I'm Mike Miller at the Denver Nuggets, and you're listening to Double Clutch Podcast. KD appeared to have a left leg injury as he went to the Warrior locker room. Watch Pachulia here. He was thrown down by Gortat and hit Kevin inadvertently. Obviously, you feel for him wanting to get healthy as fast as possible, but not rush it because we you know, have a long journey ahead of us going into the playoffs. Next man up mentality, but obviously it'd be tough to replace a guy like Katie. Hello and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Mike Miller and I'm joined as usual by Joe Hallmark. How you doing, Joe? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Uh, so we've got a lot to get into this week. Uh, we, we put a tweet out this morning and had a lot of responses about questions so we're going to rattle through a few topics then get on to your questions uh some of them overlap as you'll see so if we cover it in the uh main pod we're not going to pick it up in the questions uh but you'll know which questions you asked anyway so it's all good um so let's jump straight in so the biggest news of the last week was kevin durant's injury um how do you think this is going to affect the Warriors? He's gone down with a, I think it's a grade two MCL sprain of his knee, thanks to Zaza falling over and into him. Um, what does this mean to the West? I think it it makes the race for the one seed open. I think the Spurs are probably looking and thinking they can maybe get it. Because um, you've got to remember, and I think a lot of people do overrate this factor, but when the Warriors signed Durant, they sacrificed their bench because they had to. So they signed a lot of guys like David West on minimum deal and stuff like that. So I think what we're seeing now is we've got the Warriors starting five, well, a weekend starting five from last year because the guy who's replaced Durant isn't even as good as Harrison Barnes. Um, And then you've got a pretty weak bench. So they're not the complete team they were. But I think actually where they're hurting is defensively because Kevin Durant is a very, very good defender. Yeah, I totally agree. He's, he's massively versatile. He's got he's got the length and he actually seems to be um, putting more effort into defense. Not that he didn't necessarily in, in OKC, but it, it's certainly showing more in this team. I think with him gone, that puts a lot more strain on, on Draymond to, to continue to be a defensive beast that he has been. Um, it's interesting to me how it's affected their, their rhythm uh, as, as a unit. Uh, we've seen a couple of games over the past three where Clay and Steph, who are supposed to be the best shooting backcourt in history, have both struggled. Uh, do, do you think their struggles is is just a case of rust, or do you, is there something more to it? I think it's just rust. I think this, this is what happens with shooters. They're those two have been so consistent. I think we expect them to keep it up all the time, but I think they'll be okay. They'll get out of it. Um, you've got to remember that. No one wants to play the Warriors in the postseason. So Clay and Curry just need to they don't even need to worry about winning, really. You know, they're not they're not in danger of slipping. So they just need to focus on themselves and get mentally right for the playoffs, because I, I think Durant is gonna should be back for the playoffs. Yeah, and I know they're reassessing him in four weeks' time and the and the hope is to uh reevaluate the situation then and hopefully I'm back in time for the playoffs which are, I believe are 40 days away now um, they're 1-2 and two without him and that one one win was against the Knicks so they're 0-3 without him essentially <laughs> against competition <laughs> uh, how far down the rankings can they slip because obviously the Spurs are hot on their heels just a couple of games back do you, do you think they go further than that? well I'm just looking at it now and I'm I'm going to say no. I think I don't think they can go below two. I think, I mean, even without Durant, they've still got two of the top twenty players in the league. One of the top five. You could even add three if you consider Clay Thompson the top twenty players. So, I can't see the Rockets making up seven and a half games on them. But and then again, I think the Spurs are going to make up those two and a half games just because we've seen the Spurs. They they're good home and away. You know they're. They've got a big home stretch coming up as well. I think they've got eight home games in a row next. You've got to fancy them to win at least seven of them and then probably overtake Golden State. Yeah, that that could be interesting given sort of all the conversations we've had all year about how dominant this this Golden State team is and just how fragile um, health is and how much of an impact it can have on a franchise's success in a season. Um, if, if he doesn't make it back for the, the postseason... What's going to happen in, in Golden State? Do you think? Do you think they get out the second round? Do you get out the first round? It honestly depends on the opposition. If they end up at the one seed, and I would, I'm going to say they're going to be playing Denver or Portland. So 
either of those teams, they're high-powered offenses. Can they sustain that without Kevin Durant? I'm not so sure myself. Because, I mean, Nuggets especially, they are relentless on offense. They're going at you from so many different ways. Portland, I mean, you're a Portland fan, you've got that backcourt. Even if the defense is bad, they're going to put up a lot of points on you. But I think if they slip to the two seed, I I actually couldn't see the Thunder beating them, even if Durant wasn't playing. I just I don't really rate the Thunder that highly. No, they're um they're an interesting roster. The Thunder are. Um, you you touched on Matt Barnes earlier <laughs> uh, as the guy who's replaced KD. Do you? Th- I mean, he. Why do you think he's ended up back in, in Golden State? What is it about him? Because he's he goes everywhere he goes. He's got this this terrible reputation, and yet the top team in the the league on paper want him to go to war with. Well, he, he can defend multiple positions. I think that's the first thing about him. Um, he doesn't offer you a lot on offense, but you got to remember they create a lot of open looks. So if you're going to stick him in the corner, I'd you know I'd bank on him to knock down. 30% of them, which is okay. Um, better than Harrison Barnes last year. <laughs> so, yeah, better than better than finals Harrison Barnes. But the, Barnes must have something about him because I know he just played for the Kings, but before that he played for the Grizzlies. He was at the Clippers as well. Like, good teams like him. And yeah. there's clearly something about him. He's a fierce competitor. I kind of, I think people overblow how bad he is off the court. I just think he's had a tough upbringing and yeah, that's clearly impacted him. But I think they needed, as I said, Durant's defense. What they're missing, and Barnes is not as good a defender as Kevin Durant. But he can come in and he'll, yeah, he'll do some job. He'll at least give a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think he's there. I mean, I saw uh, in the Knicks game yesterday. He's, he's just there to put a, a foul on someone when. Uh, when they need it, he's, he's a physical presence. He's not necessarily going to add to the offense, but like you say, he can can knock down the open shot if needed. And he's he's just there to help shore up this defense. I think it's it was it's just a bizarre pickup to me though. In general, I just it just wouldn't, if you had said at the start of the season that Matt Barnes would be a warrior at the end of it, I would have I would have asked what you were smoking. Um, but you mentioned the team's lack of depth, so let's go quickly over to the team that's just added a significant amount of depth with the Cavs. We uh, we spoke about them briefly last week. Um, at the time, they were expected signings. Now they're confirmed, both for Darren Williams and Andrew Bogut. Have the Cavs done enough to lock down another crown for the King? I think they've done enough to, first of all, get to the finals. Because for me, there was some doubt. I, I didn't rate the bench before these two came in. Um they probably would have gotten over the edge over Boston, Toronto or Washington, but but now I think that's certain. I think what they've done is they've built a team around the weaknesses of Golden State. So Darren Williams is a great pick and roll point guard. That's what the whole bench unit is going to be about. And I think I think that they're built to beat the world. And I their GM, he hasn't just gone and signed these people because they're available. He's signed them because they fit into what Tyron Lue likes to do on offense. Yeah, I, I wonder how much. I mean, on paper, it's their fantastic pickups. If you look at the impacts they've had throughout their career, but I wonder how much consistency and rhythm is going to affect the Cavs going into the playoffs because they're going to need to acclimate uh, Williams and Bogut. They've then got to get J.R. Smith back into the rotation and Kevin Love and. There's part of me that's worried for Cleveland fans because on, on paper and and as you've put, they they should be back in the finals. They, their ticket should be stamped. But I worry that there there might be some issues in just getting everyone to gel at the right times. But there's still there's still a bit of time, and if you know before the playoffs start, and if there's any team that's that's going to steamroll the East, it's, it's going to be Cleveland. They they've been pretty dominant so far this season. But saying that, there's still only two games ahead of Boston, who who beat them last week. Is Boston a legitimate threat anywhere? I think the problem with Boston, and I, I'm going to use the R word, rebounding. Uh, if you if you look at if you speak to Boston fans, Al Horford is such a bad rebounder that even their fans are joking about him now. And Cleveland, <laughs> I think, have the best offensive rebounder in the game in Tristan Thompson. So even if Brad Stevens can coach a masterclass, you've got to probably accept that Cleveland are getting 15 to 20 extra possessions a game against them with Tristan on the boards. I don't think they've got a chance. They're a good team. They're a very good team. Well coached. Uh, 
with Thomas and Horford on the court, they are an offensive. I think they're the best offense in the league uh, statistically when those two are on the court. But they're not built to be the Cavs in the way that I think the Wizards could be. Okay, yeah, I, I with Boston, they seem to be to me. They're biding their time. They're not ready to to push just yet. They're going to wait, see what they get in the draft, see what they can pick up this summer, and then they're really going to throw everything in on on taking out the Cavs. Um, do you, do you think the situation of you know at the start of the season we all just immediately said it's Warriors Cavs final has to be? Do you think the situations that both franchises have sort of gone through um, has has dampened the much debated issue of parity in the league or well, lack so, of parity? Um, I think certainly in the East. I think the West is competitive though. I think the Rockets or the Spurs could beat the Warriors over seven. It's the it's the problem with seven game series though is that the saying is that cream always rises to the top because it's such a long series. The chances are, if it was a one off game, you know, I, my Timberwolves could beat the Warriors in a one off game. Mm-hmm. But you stick us in a seven game series, they're always going to beat us. And I think that parity is obviously a problem at the moment. But I don't think it's as bad in the West as people are making it out. I do think the Rockets could give them a serious run for their money. Yeah, I, to me, I'm, I'm looking at the situation now, and it, I, I said earlier just how how fragile health is and how important it is that, that both these teams were supposed to be steamrolling their way through the, the their respective conferences, and and now there is not so much with Cleveland, but there is sort of that element of, of doubt now. And but maybe again, that's just the time of year it is where everyone's sort of you know getting a bit nervous because they're getting towards the playoffs and seedings are coming and they're actually seeing some other teams are, are better than they thought originally so maybe that's part of it um but one team that isn't as good as we originally thought or or isn't currently as good as is, is the Milwaukee Bucks um they've been without Jabari for eight games now and that, I think he was a huge loss for them uh Chris Middleton though is back and he seems to be getting his rhythm Played nine games now. His minutes are back up over 30 over the last three, and he had 21, 19, and 24 in those. What, what's happening with them? They're sitting in 10th at the minute in the East, two games, at, well, two spots out of the playoffs. Well, this summer they signed, I mean, they needed three points, so they brought in Merzatiletovic and Matthew Delvadova, and they're both above average three point shooters who aren't shooting above average. That's been a big problem for them. Uh, I'm, I've got a man, I'm starting to question Jason Kidd. I think his seat is hotter than anyone else's right now. I'm not saying he's, you know, it's on fire or anything, but I don't think he's doing as well as he should be. Personally, I think with Giannis, they should be a playoff team because you look at the collapse of Charlotte, Detroit is so inconsistent. Milwaukee should be a seven or eight. So I know they've had injuries, but they got Middleton back now. And Giannis, Giannis is so good. He has to be most improved, right? Oh, yeah. It's not even a doubt. And they've got the rookie of the year as well, most likely, and Brogdon, which obviously we'll come on to later. But with the players they've got, for me, they should be doing better. Um, Obviously, Jason Kidd can't help if players aren't going to shoot as well as they did their last teams. But at the same time, I don't think the structure they've got in place is working. What, what do you think of the Terence Jones pickup? Because I think now they've added him to the mix, it gives them an, another outside shooting option without losing too much size, which they absolutely have an abundance of. I think his his game should complement Yanis a bit more as well. You know, he's a good drive and kick option, and he, he's a consistent outside presence. Yeah, they've certainly they've invested a lot in stretch bigs, haven't they? You know, they got Toletovic, Fon Maker as well. Very young, very raw, but he looks like a stretch big man. They even got Spencer Hawes in. But the problem with Hawes is he's a nothing defender, whereas Jones can come in. And as you said, you don't lose size or defensive ability when he comes in. I can't admit, I'm surprised that New Orleans released him. I, I know they, they got cousins, but they they still need outside shooting for that bench. And I thought he would have been a good guy to pair with, with Davis or cousins, you know, whichever one was on the court at the time. But... Obviously, he's found his way to Milwaukee, and I mean, I'm very interested to see how he does because they've not gotten enough out of Toletovic this year. Yeah, Toletovic is streaky. I remember watching him uh, a couple of years ago playing against GB, and I was just like, this this guy can can really shoot. And then they played him again two games later, and I was just like, this isn't the same guy, is it? It was it's crazy. Um, I think they're in the position they're in now because they had they had a skid uh, last month, I think, where they they lost ten out of eleven. 
Um, they're still not doing great. They're five of uh, five and five over the last ten. To me, this should be a, a they should be in the playoffs easily, and they should be probably as high as a sixth seed in my mind. I'm just I, I don't know what it is they need to do. You, you've you've addressed kid. You've the outside shooting. They seem to be they, they seem to be trying to address it, but can't. Do you think there's any any free agents this summer that? Uh, you know, not necessarily specific ones, but do you think Milwaukee's a destination that will now attract free agents? Because historically, it's it's not been, but they've got quite a good, exciting core there. I think Giannis is an attraction because <clears throat> you know he's he's a long term player, but they need they the the thing is with them they need off the ball guys. So yeah, the point guards, for example, this summer. Uh, I mean the. The biggest one is obviously Curry, but I think he's going to re-sign. Then you've got Drew Holiday, but he's a ball-dominant guy. He's not a long-term fit. The one they should go after, and it's actually it just came out about a week ago that he's not re-signing in Utah yet. Obviously, he might go back there, but George Hill. George Hill is the perfect fit alongside Giannis because he can defend and he can hit threes as well, which is what they need. He's pr- I, 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 saw, I saw a comment on him, which I liked. I, someone called him Matthew Delavadova on a lot of steroids, and I kind of like that. <laughs> Obviously, George George Hill is miles better than Delavadova, but they signed Delavadova because he's a scrappy defender and an above-average three-point shooter. George Hill is like, you know, a better version of that. So he's got to be the number one target. Whether they have the cap room to pull it off, I'm not sure. But he's, they've certainly got to do something because they're not wasting Jan. But Janice is on his rookie contract. And they're they're just not doing enough with him, in my opinion. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think they had a m- much higher ceiling before Jabari went down as well. Um, it's it worries me that this guy is now out with a, another serious knee injury, and I, I know that I, I must come across as a really sort of just fearful of injury person because the amount of times I've commented on players with lower limb injuries and this guy his game is is speed and explosion at the minute and and to blow out his knee again is is a huge hit do you do you think he's ever going to get back to the level he was playing at before he before he blew his knee out it's so tough to say these days because some players really respond to it but then you I hate to bring up Brandon Roy because it's just such a horrible story. But the thing is, the thing is with Jabari, as you said, his game is built. He's not a particularly great shooter. He is an explosive guy who can beat guys at one move. He did improve his shooting this year, but I really hope he hasn't lost that step because of this other injury. My gut feeling is that in 2017, you've got to give a guy the benefit of the doubt and fit and assume he's going to come back. But it honestly wouldn't surprise me if he didn't. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a tough story. And uh, it's horrible just hearing about injuries in general, which takes us nicely on to Joel Embiid. And you mentioned Brogdon earlier, uh, so I think I know what your answer is to this. But should Joel Embiid be Rookie of the Year? No, I don't think so. Um, he's obviously been the best by quite a mile but the sample size is too small and I think it's unfair on the guys who are playing every game for me but the this is the thing I think the rookie of the year voters are kind of stupid I don't think they I know that's a massive like statement but I'm not sure they know what they're doing they because I'm I looked at the NBA rookie ladder the other day and they've got some players on there that just shouldn't be there so they got Isaiah Whitehead from the Nets, and he's putting up points, but he's doing it because he's getting a lot of shot attempts a game. I think he's shooting something like, I want to say, 32% from the field. So I don't know how you can have a guy like that on the rookie ladder. So the favourite's got to be Brogdon because he's contributing at both ends, and he's doing it officially. That's the word for me, efficiency. Dario Saric has improved, but at the start of the year, he wasn't efficient. So for me, he can't be rookie of the year. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. I like I like Brogdon. I think he was a, a surprise this season as well. Um, it, it, you're right that there's this there's this focus on the numbers of, like the, the numbers that appear you know, on the surface that appear good with yeah. uh, with, with the rookies. Um, and there's definitely you know I, I saw someone uh, online recently sort of 
mentioning Yogi Farrell as the uh, as potential as a rookie of the year, and I was just like, "There's there's a serious amount of recency bias where we're just going, oh, this guy's been good for a week. He, he's the rookie of the year, and I think I think it it does a disservice to the guys who are playing all the games. Um, for me, as good as he's been, 31 games just isn't enough. I had a look back just out of interest to see. Um, which players won Rookie of the Year with the lowest amount of games, and with with Embiid not included because obviously he hasn't won anything yet. The lowest is is Patrick Ewing in eighty five eighty six when he played just fifty. Uh, then you had Vince Carter who also played fifty, but we'll we'll forget that because it was a a lockout year. Kyrie Irving played. 51 out of 66 in another lockout year then you had Brandon Roy coming back into the mix who played 57 uh, and then you had a guy from the, the 60s called Terry Dissinger so I, I'm not going to go into the rest of them but it made me think like well how do these guys stack up so I compared Embiid, Ewing and Roy to see what they, they look like and Embiid would lead them in points 20.2 uh, a little shy in rebounds um, and uh, Patrick Ewing sort of leads leads the rest of the way, but the the crazy thing is, Embiid was doing it, and he was the other two guys were averaging thirty five point four minutes a game, and Embiid was doing it with twenty five point four. It's scary how good he was in the amount of time he was playing. To me, it's just like it's just it's just very impressive how this guy has has performed in his time. But then I, I also think at the same time, is he able to? do so well because he's so well rested you know you hear of the rookie wall and things like that this guy he's only played 31 games he didn't play back-to-backs whereas a lot of the other guys are putting in you know three games in four nights on a regular basis it's 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 a really weird situation um i'm really worried for the guy as well because it's the knee injuries that have and, and lower legs again that have kept him limited out of the 246 games he could have played in um since being drafted, he, he's missed two hundred and fifteen. Do you think he's this? Do you think Embiid's the new Greg Oden? Oh God, I hope not, because I don't. I, he's a great player. He's a great character as well. The NBA needs more people like this. Yeah, you know, he's just he's quite funny. You know, there's a lot of boring sportsmen. Uh, you know, Novak Djokovic. I'm looking at you, but this guy's he's a he's good for the NBA. He's marketable. And he's going to promote the sport in Africa and in Europe as well. Um, so I don't really know whether he's going to be that great. It's so hard to predict. I, I, I hope not, though, because it's it was I've avoided Sixers games like the plague for the last three years purely because you know I don't want to watch a team that are giving Rob Covington twenty shots a game and tanking, but he made them fun to watch again for the first time probably since the AI days. Yeah, I I loved watching him. Uh, he he is he's got great footwork. He's got a great personality. He can shoot. He seems he could do everything. I, I mean, I hope he comes back. But I've just got this horrible, horrible sort of uh, negative view that 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 this could be the best we've seen of him. And I really hope it isn't. And with all these <laughs> all these advancements in surgeries, then hopefully they can rebuild him. I mean, look at Festus Azili, who's not played all season, is now having cadaver donor surgeon surgery which for anyone who doesn't know is he's having a donation from a corpse to fix his knees it's 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 I, I love that that's happening but I really hope it doesn't have to come down to that for, for Embiid and that he can get healthy and stay on the court because he is a great player with a bright future if, if he's healthy um, but from on-court issues to off-court issues let's go all the way over to the Lakers who are it seems like they're off-court drama is getting more coverage than their on court. Uh, we mentioned Magic becoming president last week on the pod. Um, since then, Jeannie Bus has filed a restraining order against her brothers Jim and John. Jim, John, and Jeannie. This sounds like what's that? What was that show called The Waltons back in the seventies? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on in LA? This is crazy. They've got the, you know. There's more than that. All all six bus owners. They all have first names with J. It's Joey, oh, Johnny, no. Jesse, Jim, Jeannie, Janie. <laughs> it, it's like the Walrus. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's not ideal because they're a young team and they don't need that kind of attention. They got a first year head coach who must be thinking, what the hell have I got myself into? There was no off the court drama at the Warriors, apart from Green kicking people sometimes. Luke Walton's now gone to a team where it's, 
it's like EastEnders. It's it's embarrassing. They're adults. And, yeah. You, you've yeah. got to wonder what sort of impact this is going to have on their 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 selling ability in free agency. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. Like, this is the. Str- I mean, I don't think they should go into free agency anyway. But we all know they're going to because Magic Johnson is apparently this winner who's going to attract everyone. But for, let's use Paul Millsap as an example. Let's say they've got a meeting with Paul Millsap. How how are they going to sell this franchise to him when they've got the owners who are you know, putting restraining orders against each other. It's not good at all. And it's the last thing this young team needed. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you, do you think this might be over, like, you know, this is only a, I'll say this is a minor issue. It's minor in comparison to what happened at the Clippers. But now that there's been a, a precedent set where the NBA will step in and essentially remove ownerships from franchises to protect the franchise, do you think there's any risk of that happening? At some point, not necessarily off the back of this one incident. Not at the moment, but this is the thing. Family feuds can get ugly. Um, Obviously, the Clippers incident was because, you know, the guy was a massive racist. But this, yeah, it could spiral into something worse. And as you said, they've got a young coach. They've got a young team. And in fairness to Magic, you know, we might laugh at him, but he's a GM he just wants to focus on the court and building a team for Luke Walton to work with. He doesn't want to have to like navigate family arguments. So this is this is a very inexperienced Lakers team on and off the court, and this isn't helping. And Adam Silver, to be fair, has been a very proactive GM, so I wouldn't be surprised if within the next six months he has something to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, this feuding isn't new either. Um, do you remember... Do you remember when Phil Jackson was was penciled in for taking up the reins again as as Lakers coach, and all of a sudden D'Antoni got the job? Yes, that, that was seen as uh, Jim Bus sort of pulling the rug from under Jeannie because she was dating him at the time, and he wanted to sort of flex his muscles. So there's been there's been all kinds of background drama. This one sort of spilled into the uh, into the public forum. It's just it's it's just not the sort of thing that you want, and I think it's. It's the sort of thing that can, if it carries on, you know, irreversibly damage a franchise which is, you know, like the Lakers, which is so storied and, and like one of the world's biggest brands. Um, you mentioned Magic. He he seems to. Uh, my thoughts on him so far is he, he he's he's not doing too bad. The appointment of of Rob Palinka, um, I thought that was quite a, a good move, but I do wonder if that's. The first step in adding Kobe as a as a sort of executive of some description, which and I know that you are you're going to have views on this. What what are your thoughts on on bringing Kobe in, and what do you think of the appointment of Palinka? I think the Palinka appointment's good just because he's got so many contacts. And I called it a modern appointment on Twitter because he's not your stereotypical front office guy, but he's got a lot of contacts in the game, and that honestly that does matter. Um, with regards to Kobe, if I'd lose a lot of respect for Kobe if he just took a job like that. I, I'm a big believer that players should kind of earn their jobs when they finish rather than just kind of get it because of who they are. So, so for, um, you know, some players retire and they go into they become a sit like Patrick Ewing. He retired, he became an assistant coach. He'll probably get a head coach gig in the next five years. He worked his way up. I'm not sure bringing Kobe back into the fold is a good move. But if you listen to Magic, although he has done well so far, I agree with you. He keeps talking about like how he wants to get winners in. I don't even know what that means. Um, so it would not surprise me if Kobe somehow got an appointment there. Yeah, it's, it, it is an interesting one. Um, I like I say, I think I think Magic's doing all right so far. I'm, it's going to be a big test this summer to see what they do. They know that Paul George is on the horizon at some point, so they've got a couple of years to get their their sort of act into, well, get their act together. Um, but we'll leave that one there. Uh, we've rattled through those topics really quickly, uh, which is which is a good thing actually, because we've have about ten questions at least from you guys. Um, 
So the first one is from Niall Gray, and thanks to everyone for sending them in. We we do appreciate it, and we'll try and answer them as as, as best as we can. First one from Niall Gray. Um, okay, what did you think of the Knicks having no in-game entertainment at MSG in the first half of the Warriors game last night? So uh, for those who, who don't know, there was a big on the Jumbotron, a big sign that said the first half of today's game will be presented with without music, video, or in-game entertainment, so you can experience the game in its purest form. Enjoy the sounds of the game. There wasn't even music in the warm-ups. There were, if you if you watch the video, Draymond, uh, Steph, Carmelo are all sort of looking around, just like, well, this place is is quiet, and looking up at the jumbotron and everything like that, trying to figure out what was going on. What did you make of it? It was very weird. I I don't watch Knicks games very often, but I turned it on. I just, it it was good. I mean, I don't think it's it really matters to me because I just watch the games. But I imagine if you're going to the game, it's quite a good experience because, you know, it's kind of like a throw. I think they called it a throwback game. That's what they marketed it as. Um, it was it was in Draymond Green didn't like it, though. He called it. I think he called it bullshit. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a stronger quote than I found. That's a good one. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was it was quite surreal to watch because you know there's always music on and there's always on league you only see this on league pass but you get those ridiculous things they do between uh time in timeouts where they like yeah. get the trampolines out yeah it was, it was quite strange but I, I've seen Red Panda kicking bowls onto her head too many times this past year because I watch it on league pass um, uh, I I liked it I like listening to the sounds of the game I like being able to hear the trash talk there was one particular instance where JaVale McGee was having Shacting a Fool shouted at him and I liked the fact that you could hear that and make it out but um, the American crowds aren't as passionate as as the European ones when it comes to basketball and, and, and other sports so I, I found it a bit weird could you imagine what it would have been like if it was like a Turkish basketball game and yeah. the noise that was coming out of that that would have been impressive to me um and it would be interesting to see what it would be like with an impassioned fan base because not being funny the Knicks is not an impassioned fan base at the games I'm not well, saying that there aren't passionate Knicks fans just at the games we've got to remember with someone like the and obviously our two teams we don't really get there's, there's no tourists in Minnesota or Portland but New York it's a tour it's like Chelsea in football tourists go there so there's a lot of that as well so I'm with you I'd, I'd love to see like a, a Sacramento Kings game with that thing because that's a passionate fan base you know those aren't day trippers they're you know proper diehards or maybe Grizzlies, someone like that. I'd like to see other teams try it. But I, yeah. I, I did see the McGee thing, and it was quite funny. <laughs> I, half of me wonders whether this was just like a really sort of setting the bar low attempt at gamesmanship. Like, how can we, you know, the Warriors are already struggling. How can we uh, do one more thing to upset them? We know it's a sellout game. Let's just, let's, you know, let's just try and throw off the game any way possible. Is, do you reckon there's any scope in that being a, a, a valid angle, or you just think it's just coincidence it happened to be a throwback game night anyway? Yeah, I, just, I, I think they're trying something. Maybe it was a way to market it, because Knicks fans are probably thinking, I don't want to turn up and see us lose by 50. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure myself. It was. Str- I don't know if they'll do it again. I don't... I think it was one of those things that some people are like, oh, it's great, and some are like, who, who cares, you know, we're just here to watch the basketball. Yeah. All right. Okay. So next question is from Gary White. Uh, as it's Shaq's birthday today, so we're we're recording on on Monday the sixth. As it's Shaq's birthday today, uh, happy birthday, Shaq. Do you prefer Magic Shaq or Lakers Shaq or Heat Shaq? Not, not counting other teams, um, because Shaq was past his best by then, basically. Uh, <laughs> I've got. <laughs> we laughed at this earlier because uh, you weren't alive when Shaq was drafted. Nope. <laughs> so I'm guessing you don't remember Magic Shack. <laughs> no, I've, I've seen footage of him. Was it Hardaway's point guard? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen I've seen footage and they look like quite a good pairing. But most of the footage I've seen of Shaq is him just like I've seen the one of him pushing Vlade over, which is quite funny. Where he <laughs> scores on him, he just pushes him for no reason. Yeah. Uh, for for me, the favorite the favorite Shaq has to be the Magic Shaq, even though he won the rings in LA. He was uh, when he first came into the league. He was he was athletic, unbelievably athletic for his size. And when he was at LA, he got a little bit tubsy. Um, I think that that took away from what he was how, how 
just impressive his physical dominance was. You also he looked like he had a lot of fun in in, in Orlando over the years. There's some great footage of him like sliding on the ball, throw, uh, sliding on the floor to, to save the ball, dribbling full court. You didn't really see, see that at the Lakers, and just ripping down rims. He broke so many. Um, yeah, Ma- Magic Shaq's best for me. Um, question three uh, from Dr. J's Fro, which is uh, an awesome handle. Um, two-part question. Who has the best chance of getting uh, Gordon Hayward this summer if he declines a new Utah deal? And where does he fit best, if not Salt Lake City? Well, I've got two different answers. The best chance of getting him is, I can't believe I'm saying it, is the Boston Celtics because he played with Stevens at Butler. Um Best fit, I'd love to see him in Denver. They've got a lot of cap room, and I think he's a natural fit alongside Jokic because he could play on and off the ball. And also, they, they keep trying to move Chandler and Gallinari, and maybe that's because they're trying to free up space to get Hayward, who is better than both of them. That's my take on that question. There's going to be a big market for him. He's a really good player. Yeah, I agree there's going to be a huge market, and I, I love the uh, the Denver take. That's not one that I'd, I'd thought of. Uh, to me, it, it's the best place for him to stay right now. I think I think it's Utah, the way they've got that core growing together, and they, they look like they could be good for several years to come. Um, the second option, like you said, is the Celtics for me. And then I'm looking at the other teams and who needs who needs a wing. And it, if, if, if you're going to re-sign at this point in your career, you want to go somewhere where yes the money's important and he's going to get more money if he stays in Utah essentially but you're going to get you want to go somewhere you can win a ring and and most teams have a guy like if you look at the top you know Cleveland have LeBron Golden State have KD the Spurs have Kawhi Leonard the the title winning teams don't need a guy from his position I wondered maybe somewhere like Houston where like you say he plays off the ball and he can shoot from outside and go through as well. He might have a field day playing alongside James Harden, but I don't think he'd get enough touches to warrant the size of the contract he's going to going to demand. No, as I think one of the things that they obviously if a team signs him, I think like Miami for example, they they're, they're going to go into free agency cuz they always do with Pat Riley. I think Pat Riley would be thinking if he looked Hayward, he went right, I want Hayward, but I need someone else as well. Because mm-hmm. I don't think Gordon Hayward takes Miami over the edge. He, don't get me wrong, he makes them probably a top four team just because they got you know a great coach and a good structure in place. But I think I think he's the final piece for teams that don't need him. If that makes sense, so yeah. he, he'd probably take Houston over the edge. But I don't know if they could justify the signing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, Jonathan Justin, which teams will start tanking to get a top pick? Well, Sacramento are already doing it. Uh, they have been very bad since <laughs> since Cousins got traded, which isn't surprising. So, and also they're going to have two very good picks because the Pelicans can't get it together at the moment. So, hopefully, they don't waste them like they usually do. I'd like to see my Timberwolves tank. I mean, we're not going to get the eighth seed. So, I mean, if someone, if someone, if like a magic genie came up to me and he went. Joe, I will. Uh, do you want Minnesota to lose every single game? I'd say yes, <laughs> just so we can, just so we can get that pick. Um, other than that, the Suns. I know Ross is very angry that the Suns are winning, and I don't blame him because there is literally no point in them winning games. Yeah, no, I, I, I've noticed that, and he is quite vocal about it. Um, interestingly, they still, they still got the third worst record in the league, even though they're winning. Um, it's it's an interesting situation with this tanking because no one's going to catch Brooklyn. Um, they're already well, they're they're nine wins less than the Lakers at the minute, uh, so they're they're pretty much wrapped up as having the best shot at the number one seed. Uh, the Lakers are tanking too. They, that's why they got rid of Lou Williams in my mind. Um, I think Charlotte might start tanking because Frank Kaminsky is injured for the season now and they've been bad anyway. So again, if I was a Hornets fan, I'd be thinking, go, let's lose our last 20 games. Yeah, well, there's a real cluster of teams actually around the 23 to 28 win mark and that that's the difference between between being... <laughs> basically at the bottom of the division and and being a playoff <laughs> and an outside shot at the eighth seed so 
I'm surprised that Dallas are making a push for it, to be honest. I like that they've retooled with, with Nerlens. I think they're they're doing well with what they've got, but I don't see I don't see Yogi Ferrell being the long term answer at point guard. Uh Dirk's already said he wants to come back next year, hopefully injury free and play his twentieth season. He's just gonna do a lot of rehab. So if they're gonna try and give him a send off next year, wouldn't you want next year to be a season where you you, you might be able to to challenge for a playoff spot? And if this if we're to believe how deep this draft is a top twenty picks meant to be good, but you'd want to be as high in that as possible. So I don't. I think Dallas would maybe consider tanking at this point as well. Yeah, I, th- I think what they'll do is because I I can't see them tanking just because it's Carlisle and Cuban. You know, they're both winners. At everything they do. Um, with that, I imagine Dallas are going to go in free agency. I, I know they never land free agents, but maybe they will this time. Yeah, maybe they can sell it. No, you can come here and give give one of the best players of all time a great send-off yeah yeah I'm, I'm not sure who's buying that I no, <laughs> but that's the thing though Dallas always go into every offseason super optimistic and every season they get burnt by someone whether it's uh DeAndre being locked in a house or, or Dwight Howard refusing to go to go oh, there's a few of them actually isn't there that just didn't go at the right time they missed out on Darren Williams when he was still a functioning, you know, top quality point guard, and then they got the the injured old version of him. Um, okay, so Minotaur to France. Those last two minute reports. Do you think they undermine game officials a little by pointing out their mistakes? They just make me angry. <laughs> but, but no, it was earlier in the season we lost. To, oh, I, can't, I can't remember who it was. We lose to everyone. We lost to someone very narrowly and it was a game I stayed up for I was really annoyed after the loss because it was down to ref decisions and they published one of those things the next day I woke up to it and it said we got this one wrong and I was like cool thanks for that I wish you'd got it right during the game you know I don't care if they've saying they got it wrong I don't see the point in them they just annoy uh, players comment on it they just annoy everyone yeah no I, I agree um the they can't do anything to change the outcome of the game once it's once it's been called that that doesn't happen um that there, there's no point in it i think the reason they were introduced were because people didn't believe there were repercussions or enough checks and balances in place on the referees from the nba and i think now we know there is and we, we should have known that before because referees get assessed quite quite closely and, and actually get fined for making incorrect calls and none of that's made public and it shouldn't be made public um, now that we know that this this last two minutes thing goes on and it goes on for the whole game it's not just the last two minutes I, th- I think we, we've seen it we know you do it take it away don't rub salt in the wound for the teams that lose and, and don't undermine the referees I know that the they're looking to improve the quality of officiating next season. They're going to be approaching teams as to how they can do that. Uh, something about they're expanding the referee work pool by another 25% and they're, they're very keen to put the best product out on the floor. It's a difficult game to referee. Mistakes get made. They're human. Don't don't make an already difficult job more difficult is all I've got to say on that. Um, from Mac Buckets. Mac Buckets? Mac Buckets? Uh, how does the league make the all-star game competitive from start to finish? Players are embarrassing themselves right now. Um, when we covered the all-star a few weeks ago, uh, Alex and I discussed this. I suggested something which I thought was really unique and original and turns out it's done in hockey all the time anyway, which was four teams um, and have them uh, basically in a, in a head-to-head sort of knockout one game stick a load of money at the top because that's the only thing that these guys seem to go for maybe not even money for them but money for a designated charity of their choice or something just so they've got some kind of vested interest in turning up other than that I don't think there's any way of fixing it because guys don't want to get hurt or embarrassed or you know all that what are your, what, what are your thoughts well you know my I'm, I don't even watch the all-star game um, I don't it's know probably- how you I don't know how you can make it competitive because you can't run plays or anything because the players don't play with each other uh, yeah, I, I guess you could. But how could you can't make someone try on defense? You can't. What What are you going to punish them with if they don't? Yeah, that's true. I was trying to think of all kinds of ways to improve it, and like 
where you could have like <laughs> but then it sort of detracts from what the game is like you can't introduce we used to, we used to play a, a game called how was it called we used to play this uh it's like an all against all we used to it was called 21s at one point but then we expanded it into uh, it was called rough house and it was like all against all like you know like Wembley was in in football or you probably call it something else from way or from where you one goalkeeper all against all. We played similar in basketball and he had to get to a certain amount. And if you, if you, you got points for playing defense basically. So a block was worth five and a steal was worth three. <laughs> Imagine if they tried to implement that into the game. I think it, I, I think it's a, an idea, but it's, it's not plausible at all. And the only way these guys seem to respond now is, is money. So I don't, I don't know what else you can, you can do. No, I, I don't think it's fixable. Okay, cool. Uh, Chris Walton, is it too late for Miami to wave the white flag and go into uh, go all in tank mode? Who's the the who, what? Can't even talk now. Is it too late for Miami to wave the white flag and go all in tank mode? What's the benefits of getting the eighth spot long term? Well, there aren't any really. They're going to get. Swear. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, I understand why some teams are desperate to make the playoffs as an eight seed, but I don't understand why why Miami would be because they've made the finals four times in the last six years. They've won two championships. That their fans shouldn't be desperate to make the eight seed. Really, it's not. It doesn't mean as much to them as it would to, I don't know, Brooklyn or even someone like Detroit. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think. I think they could feasibly tank. I don't think they're going to. I just think they'll be happy with a, a lower lottery pick because maybe Pat Riley thinks that they can attract free agents because they have done it in the past. Yeah, and I know he's he's not. I mean, he's not adverse to tanking, but he's he's openly said he's not looking to do that. Um, if he was to do it, they're only they're only five six games ahead of of Orlando. For the for the fourteenth seed, is that even a seed? Fourteenth position in the conference, so they wouldn't have far to fall. Um, I think they've they've done really well with a a roster that shouldn't be this this good. Essentially, I think they I think they're overperforming expectations this year. And you're right, Miami is Miami. People say that markets don't matter in terms of size, and I th- I think they do in terms of location because players are going to want to play in Miami. I mean. There's a different. LeBron must have enjoyed February's and March's in Miami more than he enjoys them in Cleveland. They're they're always going to attract people. Um, in terms of getting the eighth seed, I completely agree with you as well. It means nothing to them. They don't need it. They're in it. They're either in it to win it or they they're not bothered. Um, another question from McBuckets. Um, I hate the tanking theory. It's bad for the league, players, and fans alike. What can the league do to top? to stop teams stinking. I'm really bad at reading today. Uh, could winning be the requirement for obtaining top college players or would this make the league unbalanced even further? The thing is, I think he's a Bulls fan because I interact with him quite a lot. Um, it is easy for... for a, I'm not having a go or anything. I understand why people don't like tanking, but as a Timberwolves fan, we're not going to compete in free agency. We're not going to... We're, how else are we supposed to get good without being bad? You know, it's it's really, I don't know, it's just difficult, really. I don't think you should stop tanking. I think I think if you gave, gave winning teams the top draft picks, you'd just have it. I mean, I love the Premier League, but it would be like the Premier League where it's generally, barring that Leicester miracle, it's the top teams at the top every year. Um so, for example, like if Minnesota hadn't tanked for those two years, we wouldn't have Towns, we wouldn't have Wiggins, um, we wouldn't have Levine, we wouldn't have Chris Dunn, we probably wouldn't have Thibodeau either because he wouldn't have come to a team without that much young talent. So I think tanking is necessary because I think tanking is how you build a team. And let's not forget the San Antonio Spurs, they're a dynasty. They've, been, they've won 50 wins for 20 years. Greg Popovich tanked for Tim Duncan. If Greg Popovich hadn't tanked for Tim Duncan back in the day, I, you know, would the league be as good as it is now? Because the Spurs have made the league really good. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. Even further back than that, you've got the the Rockets tank for Hakeem. So it's it's what teams do. It's it's not a new thing. It just seems to be now a more um, publicly endorsed and celebrated. It's not the right word, but just everyone wants to do it, and they all talk about it. Um, I think it is difficult for teams who don't have either his historical pulls or a decent geographic location. Um, but I, I hate, I do hate the idea of, oh, we're not going to try because if we don't try, then we, we we stand a better chance of being better next year. I'd like to see some kind of like as the playoffs start, have some kind of uh, wooden spoon race basically for the for the number one pick. So you you put in together the bottom six teams or something like that and have them play off. For a for, for a shot, a, you know, a better shot at the number one seed, something like that. There's got to be some way of balancing your your season record because you've deliberately been bad with you still wanting to compete. If that makes sense, it depends how long you do it for, though, because you can't get good in the NBA without being bad, really, unless you absolutely luck out in the draft and you land a star in the you know in the twenties, which is rare. You know, it really is yeah. rare. Um, it's like Minnesota. As I, I hate to bring my team up, but I'm only saying it because it, you know it's a team I can talk about quite easily. I mean, in fact, no, we'll go back. We'll look at your team now, Portland. Lillard and McCollum. I believe they were both top seven picks. I think. Yeah, sounds about right. So you wouldn't have those two fantastic players without. I don't. I'm not saying you tanked, but you were quite bad for a couple of years. Yeah, in the post Brandon Roy era, everything went a bit um, <laughs> went a bit bad. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Teams have to, to be bad to get good. That's the. I mean, I'll go back to stay, stay with that one to get Brandon Roy and Greg Oden. He had to be pretty pretty poor to get those higher picks. The same with OKC. They they tanked for Durant and then carried on tanking for Westbrook and then lucked out and got Harden as well. But that OKC team made the league better because it was so. Yeah. You know, they were so competitive. They were so marketable. They were so fun. Everyone, people watch the NBA for that team. And even in 30 years, even though they never won anything, I'll, still, I'll always remember that OKC team as probably the best team not to win a ring. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think, I think one of the difficult things is as well is that teams tank expecting to get the number one pick, then don't get it, or teams tank expecting to get a decent rookie and the rookies are so hit and miss still it's i mean we we if you redo drafts five ten years later the amount of change between the lottery picks is just it's incredible like you wouldn't you wouldn't see Kawhi drop down so low it's almost like a i wonder whether like a feeder system would be better um, you know, like if the D League, and when they are starting to do it now with the new CBA, where you can designate a player to develop, I think I think the issue is not on tanking for a decent rookie. It's that once the rookie's there, people expect them to change the world when actually they should be developing the player better. If that makes sense. Oh, trust me, I can attest to that. I'm, I'm sure Tom Thibodeau would agree with you that I think Fibs, when he came to Minnesota, he expected us to win now. But then he realised that actually Wiggins, Towns and Levine, they are done as well. Tyus Jones, they've got developing to do. You know, it's going to take us a couple of years to get good. So I understand the frustration with tanking, but there's no alternative. You know, it's I'm I'm I've been vocal on this pod about the Philly. And I think the idea that Philly kind of made a joke out of tanking was not the not the best thing to do. But at the same time, it's how you get good. Ultimately, in my in my opinion, there's going to be people who disagree. But free agents were never going to come to Minnesota and play with you know Ricky Rubio and Martel Webster. You know, it, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I'm sure there are some off the wall ideas that you can that you can really dig into, but they they all seem to be too much of an upheaval to the current process that I don't see them being viable as, as something that could be introduced um, so let's leave, let's leave that one there because otherwise we're going to go all night and not answer the question fully still because well you, you've answered it but you know what I mean we're not going to be able to we're never going to decide it's one of those unanswerable arguments um, the next question was from Lee but we've already answered that um, about Barclays 
because Barclay asked whether the uh, the dubs would make it out of the West. We kind of covered that earlier. Um, or did we cover it? Did we actually? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Yeah. Apologies, Lee. We'll cover it now then. Um, so Charles Barkley said, "Without KD, the Warriors don't get out of the West." Fair. Good God. Um, I'll tell you what. That man has some takes, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does. Um, I've got to admit, I'm not sure. I think he's. This is my problem with Barkley. I think. I want to be careful insulting the guy, but I think he says things to cause controversy rather than because he believes them. Uh, I, I don't get me wrong, the Warriors would struggle a bit more with that, but you take a... I think Durant's best player in the league, personally. Even if someone disagrees with me, he's top five. If you take a yeah. top five player out of any team, of course they're going to struggle. But I think to openly say they have no chance of getting out of the West is a bit bizarre because they've still got Curry, Clay, Draymond... And a pretty good head coach as well, so I don't agree with him. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I certainly think it's not as much of a guarantee as as when they have KD, but they're, they're still a pretty strong side. Um, yeah, you're right. Hot take centralist Charles Barkley. Um, <laughs> shout out to our, our Ross. I'm. He, he sent me a copy of. Uh, Barclay's book I may be wrong but I doubt it which I'm currently reading so it's uh, yeah he's, he has been full of hot takes for his in, entire career um, so that takes us to our final question which I think is a bit tongue in cheek from uh, our very own Alexander Cole um, this this got a few answers on Twitter straight away but uh, which NBA player would you hate to get stuck in a lift with the most oh god um <laughs> Probably Matt Barnes because he just like he just talk about how he's gonna like kill Derek Fisher. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going with Draymond because unless he is uh, concentrating on something, he is either kicking people in the nuts, um, taking photos of his <laughs> bits, or, um, or or getting into fights in the off season and and getting arrested. So I think I'd probably feel safer if I wasn't locked in a, in a in a box for an unknown amount of time with him um we did yeah we got we got one more question by the way i don't mind asking it to you it came in from i'm gonna slaughter this name anojan ahilan i really i, 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 I think pray, you did better than i did last week i really hope i've pronounced that right please tell me if i haven't but this is one for you i guess which teams are in need of a rebrand next season because I, I can think of a couple Oh, as in like the action? Are we talking as in logos, or what do we mean by rebrand? I, I would imagine he means logos and unis rather than you know changing the name. Right. Okay. Um, Pelicans need to change their mascot. Uh, what? What from King Cake Baby? Oh, get rid of the King Cake Baby. <laughs> that is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. Um, no, I meant the what's his name, the Pelican. Um, I don't know what his name is, but he, he looks pretty scary. And in fact, they've rebranded him already. Um, I like the Hornets branding. I reckon that we, we, we will see some because Nike are coming in. Um, I don't know. I, some of the some of the teams that you'd think would do one because they haven't changed their uniform like the Bulls, I think you can't touch that jersey. They hit it, nailed it. You can't. It's an iconic jersey. You can't change that. Um I think my Timberwolves could do with a rebrand, to be honest with you. We we use you remember our throwbacks from those two years we were good, where we had the kind <laughs> of like we had the weird I wanna call it icy writing. I don't I don't know what word to use, but the letters were like in white back when okay. we K G and Marbury. Yeah. I think I think we could bring that back because our uniforms at the moment are really uninspiring. And they had the pine on the uh on the stitching on the, the- around where the, the armholes are essentially they had little the green pines is that yep. the one you're on about yeah 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 no, that's a good kit and we're quite marketable now as well because we got you know a, a good head coach and some young players so i think we could do with a rebrand it's been it's been a long time I, I think the clippers need to bring back the jerseys they had two years ago the 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 Clippers jersey, in fact, it's probably older than that. The Clippers jersey that I love is the uh, the Elton Brand Lamar Odom era with the the. In fact, it, was, it is the same logo. They just changed the color in around it a bit. Uh, but the the sort of cursive uh, Clippers. I'm trying to think. Well, you know, it's all joined up. Uh, I like that. Uh, that was a cool one. Um, unis, I don't like. 
I think the unis are all right at the minute. I'm, I'm so glad the sleeves are going, though. I said it last week. Get rid of the sleeves already. Uh, other than that, I don't think there's too many that I'd, I'd actually rebrand at the minute. I think, I, mean, I don't know if it'll happen. I'd, I'd give the Magic a look at as well. I'd prefer the Magic here, our unis from the Shaq days than the ones now. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you said the Shaq days and not the uh, the T-Mac days when they had the stars on it because I did not like them. No, yeah, I, I like the Shaq uh, throwback one. That they only they only wear one season. Although I I often prefer throwbacks to the actual jerseys. Yeah, it's weird, but they seem to have now. It's crazy because they now they seem to have jer- jerseys for everything. You've got like you've got Latin nights. You've got uh, MLK Day jerseys. You've got St. Patrick's Day jerseys, Christmas Day jerseys. It's almost like you then got the alternate roads, uh, the sleeves. It's like they've. It's it's like they have um, just a jersey almost every other game. That's different. It's it's crazy, but that's, that's what the people want. I'd I'd like to see more of the the blue Atlanta kit. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. So I think they uh did they wear that the other no I don't know if they did but they retired Pete Maravich's jersey the other day and I I don't know what jersey they wore for it but that was certainly a kit they wore in his era I keep calling them kits but I guess they are um and I'd like to see that worn more often I don't really like the neons they've got at the minute it's a bit too crazy for me yeah there's certainly I think Nike are going to shake things up a bit yeah. And I, I, I'm desperately hoping that there is a Jordan logo instead of a, a Nike tick on a couple of jerseys. I think there's a good chance of it. So fingers crossed on that one. Um, all right, I think that covers it. Anything else you want to get to before we go? Uh, not that I can think of. All the, oh, one thing, Rodney Magruder should be in the Rookie of the Year candidacy. Okay. That's yeah. it. I forgot to mention it earlier when we were talking about it. But he's not—he's not even on the rookie ladder on NBA.com, which is crazy. But yeah, that's that's all I have to say. Fair enough. All right. Um, okay. So for those of you that don't subscribe to the show, please do on whatever podcast form you listen to uh listen through rather um if you get a chance give us a review on itunes that'd be much appreciated and if you don't already follow us we are on twitter uh and we're on in on facebook in facebook who knows uh you can find us at double clutch uk uh make sure you give us a follow and a like i think that's about it from us um so we'll see you next week